0: Welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw, a spin-off of Adventure Rider Radio that we do each month. On this episode of Raw, we're going to respond to some listener feedback. And one is about the color yellow, as far as the choice goes for tents or clothing, t-shirts, that sort of thing. Um, other, another one is, uh, getting back on your bike after a get off. That can be quite scary and unnerving. And uh, that's an interesting talk as well as, um, trying to convince your significant other that it's safe to travel in wherever, in this case, it's South America. As so we talk a bit about that. And we're also talk about where we set our butts when we're off the bike. Stay with us. We got a lot of fun coming up on this episode. Now, as you know, Adventure Rider Radio and Adventure Rider Radio Raw are powered by some ads and of course your support, listener support. And we really appreciate the support that we get from listeners because we just couldn't do it without your help. So we have a support page set up at Adventure Rider Radio, www.adventureriderradio.com. Click on the support button and any amount, anything $10 or more is going to get you a sticker sent back at you. Anything $50 or more will get you a mention on this show right now. That's if you want it. You can opt out as well so for this month we have some very generous listeners that have donated $50 or more and I want to give a shout out to them Um, Ivor Roberts Thomas Bears Stephen Howard Paul and Bob Godfrey and Robert Stransky, thank you all very much. Uh, hugely appreciated. And of course, any amount that you uh, help out with, any amount you support the show with is hugely appreciated. So um, drop by the website, click on the support button. We also have Patreon that we signed up for, which is a, a monthly system where you can pledge so much a month. And that is fantastic because we can count on that and uh, and spend more time um, working on the show and less time worrying about uh, drumming up advertising to support it. Anyway, thank you all for the support that you're giving already. It really helps us do what we do here at Adventure Rider Radio. And that goes for any amount. Both Elizabeth and I are extremely grateful for your support for the show. So anyway, here we go. Adventure Rider Radio Raw for March 2018. Anyone not ready?
1: Oh, ready as well,
2: I could Are we nearly there yet?
1: <laughs>
0: oh, what a nice...
1: <laughs> <laughs> How's the introduction go, Jim? Unscripted um, and Very, really, very fun.
0: From the Canoe West Media Studio on the shores of Vancouver Island, British Columbia, Canada, it is March 2018 and welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw. Roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel, and anything else that crosses our mind, completely unscripted, raw, and personal. My name is Jim Martin and today at the virtual roundtable afforded to Through the Magic of the Internet, I am joined by our regular Overland co-host starting way over in Australia, Shirley and Brian. How are you doing?
3: Yeah, really good. Good afternoon, Jim. Good afternoon, everyone. It's a glorious autumnal day here. And for those of you in the Northern Hemisphere, it's just turned to fall.
4: And uh, I've just been for a ride, done 300 kilometres. It's a beautiful day, so I don't know what you're all grizzling about over there in the darkness.
0: And over here in British Columbia with me, although somewhat
5: far away in local terms, is Grant Johnson. Grant, good evening. Good evening. Hello everybody. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are. Here it's absolutely fantastic, glorious, beautiful, sunny weather. It was t-shirt weather out there today, it was over 20, fantastic, and the bike is about to get on the road. So, I'm really looking forward to it. I, I was laughing there because I thought you were trying to say it's sunny right now, and Grant, we know that it's dark. Well, it was. This you afternoon the basement, it was. <laughs> yes, I do. And we've got <laughs> so you- one lousy little tiny window, so you don't but I look cloak. at it a lot. <laughs>
0: And over in the UK, finally at home, Sam Manicom. Sam, good morning.
1: (laughs) Hello, everybody. Yeah, it's um, 5.33 a.m. this morning, and the sun is just beginning to lighten the sky. And I reckon we're going to have a really wet day today.
0: (laughs) Uh, Well, I guess it's typical for this time of year for you, isn't it?
1: Oh, it's absolutely fine. You know, we've had some glorious weather recently. Um, And people may have seen online that um, the UK had a little bit of snow and all of the scandal and drama associated with that because we just are not set up to deal with snow. Um, I took great pleasure in posting photographs of things like Canadian trains (laughs) on uh, Facebook and so on.
4: (laughs) Yes, I saw that, Sam. It was very good.
3: It was a magic shot, wasn't it? How long are you visiting home for, Sam?
0: (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and over in but. Bulgaria, we've got Graham Field, who is bright-eyed, a bushy-tailed, already done his yoga and pet his cat. Good morning, Graham.
2: Good morning. I think it's kind of funny to give the listeners a little insight. We've had half an hour of technical problems prior, prior to starting this introduction and everybody's voice was getting quite pissed off and now everybody, <laughs> we've gone live, everybody's all peppy and sunny so, so morning. So you didn't sound like that five minutes ago, did you? Problem <laughs> oh. solved. That's a good thing. Now now we're happy.
4: Smile and
0: action.
2: <laughs> you <Yes. laughs> so professional.
3: trade secrets.
4: She might get banished if uh, the language gets out, he'd had trouble um, editing all that out. <laughs> <laughs> so the first thing we're
0: dealing with today is something that was said. I think it was. I think it was two or three episodes ago. and, and I don't want to point fingers, but I believe it was Sam. <laughs> it said something about a yellow tent and I've got to say okay so what happened was Sam had mentioned I don't I don't know what we were talking about we were talking about uh, maybe about tents but I think you'd mentioned that yellow don't have a yellow tent because yellow attracts the bugs and when you said it The first thing that pops into my head is, well, that's not what I know to be the way that bugs act. And because I instantly think of bug lights and I know that for outdoor stuff, we wear light clothing. But I didn't want to say anything because at the time when we were talking, I just thought, well, I'll just let it go. And it was sort of a, just an offhanded comment. But we got an email, Mike Sampson who listens to the show. And, and actually, I should have looked at this before I started to speak because he said it was episode 25. <laughs> Someone, he didn't want to name Sam, but I'll just point it out, it was definitely Sam, said... All right, not, all right.
1: my hand's up to this.
0: Not to get a <laughs> yellow tent because it attracts bugs. And being a happy owner of a yellow Redbirds tent, he was very distressed about it, so he started looking up and uh, doing a little bit of research on it. He found, according to science.com, yellow... Uh, this is to do with yellow, the color yellow. Insects are attracted to ultraviolet and blue light, including black and fluorescent. I, I, maybe I won't re- bother reading this, but basically what he's saying is he's saying that yellow doesn't attract insects. As a matter of fact, it sort of does the opposite. Sam?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Get out of this one, made, Sam. Did I, make that, did I make that silence last suitably long?
0: <laughs> it sounds like you're under pressure. <laughs> like, I, I bet your forehead's a little damp right now.
1: No, not at all. Um, Mike, hi. Um, I'm really sorry that I gave you stress and hassle. Um, the, the reason I made the comment was because um, I have traveled with other people who have been using yellow tents and yellow luggage and that sort of stuff. And they have always been surrounded by midges and flies. Mosquitoes, I never saw, um, but midges and flies, yeah, I saw quite a lot. Um, I travelled with one guy who had a yellow tent, it was a bright yellow tent and it just always seemed to be crawling with um, flies and I remember sitting one day and looking at his tent and looking at mine which was dark blue and thinking "Wow, why is his covered anyway so once that was in my mind I was watching what was happening with other people and as it happened at the time I had um, a fairly bright yellow shirt, I, I used to call it because I'm a bit silly, my sunshine shirt I always felt good when I was wearing this yellow Shirt, you know, but as the um, as I was going through the analysis stage, I realised that actually, yeah, whenever I wore this yellow, sh- flies and midges were more interested in me. But as time went on and that shirt became um, faded by the sun, it got down to sort of um, palish yellow, that actually stopped. So I decided that it was something to do with the tone of yellow that was making a difference. The brighter and more vivid the yellow, um, the more bugs it um, attracted. Now, Mike, I'm going to make you laugh now because guess what colour tent I've just bought? (laughs) I literally just bought myself a yellow tent. It's a North Face Stormbreak 2 and I found one in the REI sale for $118 and North Face tents are usually great and I thought for $118 I, I can't turn this down. I've got to have a go with it and just see. So in um, in a couple of months' time, when I've used it a fair bit, I will report back and let you know what my experiences with it are. Unfortunately, the next time I'm going to be using it, I'm going to be using it at altitude in North America. So I'm not going to get pleased plagued by tropical flies and bugs so um my testing for real i'll have to wait for just a little bit longer but um do do you guys
0: hear the same thing i hear i mean i just feel like i just heard a politician's speech i mean you talked a lot (laughs) you you said a lot in there but but it sounds like you're trying to get off on a technicality Are are you saying it's the shade of yellow
1: well this is yes (laughs) <laughs> Make a difference. I makes how makes many difference? politicians I, are going to say yes?
4: <laughs> I thought well, you went out and bought a yellow tent on Mike Simpson? say-so. <laughs> there
1: you go. I think, Mike, Sam, Mike, you and I are going to have to meet up at events um, somewhere along the line <laughs> and, and compare tent colours.
3: When, you know, Sam, whether you're right or wrong, I'm really glad you made the statement Because Mike put in his reply that he um, went to one website, which is com, (laughs) And that has just made my day reading that. So I'm going to spend forever this afternoon, this evening on com and see what it tells me.
5: Well, I thought it was very interesting, too, because he was particularly talking about mosquitoes. And he's absolutely right. According to, I, I couldn't I couldn't resist. I had to do a little bit of research. Mosquitoes don't care about the color. That was the big thing. That they don't care at all. What they're looking for is carbon dioxide, which we breathe out. So they're smelling us. There's a live person there. And they're also looking for anything warmer than the surroundings. That's what attracts mosquitoes, not the light. But bugs, insects generally, are supposedly according to gardening.com, I think it was, are attracted to yellow. That's why gardener, garden shops always sell yellow sticky traps. Well, Catches why, are, all the bugs. why are bug lights
0: yellow then? You put a bug light outside so that you don't attract the bugs, so you can go in and out of your door at night without
5: getting mobbed by all the moths. I have, I did find something on that and I completely forgot to write it down. I've completely forgotten what it was, but what? the yellow you know, bug lights aren't the best. The LED lights are better. Well, I didn't know that. LED lights don't attract bugs? There's a particular color of LED light, which doesn't attract bugs because, at all because it's temperature. The, um, what, what, the reason that bugs are attracted to a light is because they literally navigate by light. In other words, the moon or the sun. So if, if the light on your porch is brighter than the moon, they'll go straight for your light. So a yellow light is not as bright and doesn't attract them as much. That's my understanding. So I don't know about all the technical details, but that's the basic. And the other one is, here's a really good one. If you want to go to Africa, tsetse flies are repelled by yellow, and they're attracted to blue. Hmm. On certain parts of Africa, tsetse flies are a
1: real problem. And wasps
5: are also attracted to yellow. What shade of blue?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hang on, we're getting into the political splitting statements.
0: (laughs) Graham, we haven't heard from you and and your research on yellow.
2: Oh, well, it's been very extensive research. Uh, I, I just go back to when I camp, 90% of the time, it's wild camping, it's fly camping, and I want a dark tent so I'm not seen. And I'm straight in the tent when I put it up, so it's not I'm cooking outside and have to worry about bugs. And I'm normally up at first light, as you generally are when you're fly camping. And again, it's, so it's not really an issue. So I have a dark tent because I don't want to be seen at night, and that's my criteria. Hmm.
0: I honestly thought you were going to talk about amber beer attracting more bugs.
2: No, I mean, I don't any care. I'm, I'm not disputing the research. I'm sure it's very accurate. And uh, well, Which and, part? And, we don't and, really
0: know where we sit at this point.
2: Uh, well, very accurate and controversial. But <laughs> nevertheless, it doesn't apply to me. And anyway, I haven't got any yellow clothes. I don't look good in yellow. It doesn't bring out the colour of my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: that catches up an image. It doesn't look good or it doesn't apply to you? What do you mean? It doesn't apply because you don't wear yellow or just bugs... Aren't attractive. I don't to have yellow
2: clothes. <laughs> I, don't me, I'm I not look at: I have to seriously wonder
0: yellow. about Sam's yellow shirt. I mean, I'd like to see a photograph of that actually on Sam.
1: Well, gosh, I'll have to. I'll have to go digging in the archives. It's a long time since I've worn that shirt. And I tell you what, I did have a yellow silk shirt when I went on a cruise line. Oh, smart! Wow. Birgit told me that I looked like a gigolo. <laughs> she has a way with words. It could have
3: been worse. There's plenty of things you don't want to look like. Jiggly's probably right up there with some of them,
1: but it's not so
4: bad. <laughs> I'll take, there's a badge upon her, Sam. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> I'll, I'll just throw in, in. on top <laughs> of that.
5: <laughs> Susan and uh, a bunch of us were sitting around the um, table on the, on the deck at, in the cusp after the Cannes West meeting last year. We have this, what we call the vortex of laziness. At the end of an event, everybody's burned out, tired, and we just go sit on this lovely deck overlooking the beach, beautiful, relaxing. And as the sun starts to go down, you get a lovely sunset. And Susan was wearing a lime green shirt. And it was absolutely covered in bugs. Like hundreds of them landed on her and nobody else, just her, with this bright lime green shirt. So who Mm. knows about color?
1: Well, I can do a little contribution on that. Um, Fluorescent colors do attract bugs. It doesn't matter what color it is. If it's fluorescent, bugs are definitely drawn to it.
5: Yeah, I don't know. I call it quite fluorescent, but it sure wasn't far off fluorescent. It was a you yeah. know really
4: strong, bright lime green. So yeah, yeah, definitely. Great, Grant. Just remember that when you're giving all the volunteers their t-shirts uh, for Horizons, <laughs> you really? know those those fluoro colours you give us. Just remember that, will you?
3: Yeah. Okay.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I'll get you a black one. <laughs> yeah,
5: thanks, mate.
3: Not that we get outside to experience sunshine because we're working too hard.
5: <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> It's always a problem. That's all. As long as you're having <laughs> you having fun?
4: We having fun, Joe? Yeah, we're having fun.
5: <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: She's bringing a, it down yeah. a notch, Jeff Goins writes. I know it's been covered on AR and uh, in several other episodes that we've we've done, but he'd love to get some insight on getting on your bike after a big crash, the mental barriers, and how to deal with the fear. He says that he had a crash last fall, resulted in surgery and a, and a wrecked bike, and. Now he's having doubts about getting back on and he says here he knows Sam had a couple of spills and still gets on and rides. And I think spills are boy, that's a probably a really light way to say what um what Sam yeah.
3: has done. Uh, understatement of Sam, the crash yeah. test dummy.
1: That, that, that's um, Jeff's understated British ancestry coming through. <laughs> yeah, you
5: <no. laughs>
0: Yeah, because you're up there with Evil Knievel, aren't you? With as far as broken bones, isn't that close to that?
1: <laughs> no, it's 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 all myth and legend. <laughs> hey, so how many is that, Sam? <laughs> what? How many bones broken over the yeah. years? yeah um probably 22 23 oh, something like that good lord <laughs> probably i want to them repeat offenders though
0: oh yeah you guess you don't really count those no exactly so okay so let's talk about that um graham since you've been notably quiet uh, on this episode so far i, I want to start with you any thoughts about that about getting back on
2: Uh, Well, I can totally empathise because I had a very similar experience about, I don't know when it was, about five years ago in Mexico. I had my worst accident, not by bones broken. I've done more damage to myself, but it was my scariest accident. I had a front tyre blowout and went head on towards the oncoming car, who thankfully was not looking at his phone, was looking where he was going, and swerved into what was my lane to miss me. And then I swerved back into my lane, I had zero control. You know, when you hear these things, if the driver lost control of his vehicle, I thought, how do you lose control of your vehicle? I lost control, it had a mind of its own. And then eventually it flipped, the bike flipped, both the panniers exploded, all my shit was all over the road. And I was laying at the side of the road. I always used to say, gloves before helmet, you instinctively put out your hands to save yourself. And I never got a chance. The first thing that hit the ground was my head. And if I wasn't wearing a full face lid, I wouldn't still have these stunning good looks that I have now. But <laughs> it, was, it was frightening, absolutely frightening. And um, it's an long story, I won't go into my whole accident, but I then had to ride about four or five days back to Denver where my journey had started with my right leg sticking out like a jousting pole because I couldn't bend my knee. And the whole of that ride... The accident replayed through my head, replayed through my head, couldn't get rid of it. And consequently, when I got back to Denver, I sold that bike because it had thrown me off. It had me. I never want anything to do with it again. And I think I even put a thing on Horizons Unlimited asking the same question, how do you get over that thing that keeps playing through your head? And I thought, well, this is it, you know. It, bikes are my life. They always have been since I was a teenager. If I can't ride now, if every time I get on a bike that accident replays, what am I going to do? So with the money I sold that KLR for, I bought myself a very extravagant camera lens because I thought, well, my next favourite thing in life is taking photos and consequently bought a camera lens. Luckily, I have quite a short memory and eventually those memories faded. Telling you that story now, it all comes flooding back to me. And there was a bunch of advice from various people on the Horizon site so when I asked that question, you know, get back on the horse and everything. I can't honestly say what work what uh, give you advice on what would work for you. Um, if bikes are in your blood, and I would imagine they are, or else you wouldn't give a damn that you can't get back on it, then you will find a way. And perhaps with time, the memories of that wipeout will fade, and um, you'll be able to do it. But I mean, when you think about you know the the cliff the cliff edge roads you've leaned around. And you can't think about having a blowout every time you're nearly getting a knee down and there's a sheer drop on the other side. You just can't think about that. You have to have faith in your tyres, faith in your bike, and ultimately know that I guess we all have to think to some extent that when we get on our bikes, that ride might be the last. And so enjoy it. So if you want to stay safe, you wrap yourself in cotton wool and sit on the couch watching other people do on TV or something. I can't tell you what to do, but I think if it's in your blood, you will find a way to get back on that bike, those memories will fade and you'll, and you'll do it again. But I can totally empathise with how you feel.
3: There is one thing, um, fellas. Um, when you have a car accident, you don't consider not driving again. I know heaps of people who've had mm-hmm. quite serious car accidents or minor accidents and they don't say, I'll never drive again. Yeah. Good and point. Yep. yeah. Whereas people come off a bike, and I mean, obviously, bike accidents can be far more serious at lower speed, and and all sorts of um, contingencies that you don't have to deal with in a in a car crash. But um, you know, you wouldn't consider not driving your vehicle to work again if you'd had a, a car crash that wrecked your car and resulted in surgery. And I have to tell myself that because Brian did throw me off the back oh. of the bike at ninety five kilometres an hour one, one day. And um it took me it took me a little while to not so much get my nerve back, but to just get an interest in it in riding again. I thought, well, you know, I didn't break anything but had some spectacular Multicolored bruising on parts of my anatomy that not many people saw.
4: I've got the photos. I'll send them to you later. No, you won't.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, so I can certainly understand what Jeff says too because it, it, um, it shook me and it shook my nerve. But then I told myself that if we'd had a car accident and I'd walked away with the similar injuries or had spent some time in hospital, I wouldn't have stopped getting in the car.
0: Yep, exactly. I wonder if it's partly that, um, you know, we, we realize how vulnerable we are. You know, when it, when it comes to a uh, motorcycle crash, I think it's like 27, 27 to 34 times the risk of uh, death or serious injury on a motorcycle over a car. And I wonder if that just becomes more apparent or sort of, yeah, it just makes you, makes you realize it more, makes you think about it more.
3: Yeah, well, that's well, certainly well, the well,
4: case. Well, Jim, you know, we know the risks. You know, you, if you, you love motorcycling and people take it on um, because of um, that air of danger or, or the thrill of um, um, uh, going around a corner and sticking to the road and basically defying gravity as you're going around a corner. That's all part of it, you know, but with, with that comes the risk that, you could be injured and yes um, when we came off on that trip which was a bit of diesel on the road, I didn't do it deliberately, sure (laughs) I would uh, hope uh, not um, (laughs) I I just picked the bike up and kept going, you know, but surely she uh, suffered a bit more uh, psychologically more than anything and uh, got in a a support car but, and I've come off the bike you know, we've all had bits and pieces not as many as uh, breaks as you seem, but I don't know I've got holes in my legs from different things and where um, uh, you hit the road or uh, practicing um, jumps and um, landing diffi- in, a, in an awkward way and going over the handlebars and uh, ripping your leg open as you go across the top. Done all that. But, you know, it, it's all about motorcycling. It's, it's about, you know, feeling the breeze and getting out there and doing it. Yeah. Uh, I think it comes I, down I, to do you want to ride again?
5: That's the big question. Yeah. If he's really yeah. nervous about it, well, I think there comes a time when people have to say, okay, the fear is too much and I really don't need to and don't want to ride. And, and I think that's okay. Mm. So don't feel bad about it if you've come to that point in life where, nope, not for me anymore. Mm. And I, I think pushing people into riding when they're not comfortable is not
4: going to be a good thing. But no. if he wants to ride, that's a different thing. That's right, Grant. I I went through a period where I was – I either got knocked off my bike or something happened in January, and one year I thought, well, I might just park the bike for a couple of weeks, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, you get over that, and you realize that it's just – if you really want to ride and you've got that desire, yes, you will. If if it's not your thing, that's fine too. Yeah. I've had um, a major
5: car crash. Somebody drove out in front of me in Australia as I was driving along – in my car and literally just blew a stop sign and I was on the what's the highway going into Sydney anyway it doesn't matter doing 50 miles an hour or so and guy just drove right in front of me like I had 20 feet and zero chance to stop I didn't even get my foot off the gas and just nailed them square yeah. totaled the car and I had giant bruises across my chest um, but did I think I'm not going to drive again of course not mm-hmm. as Shirley says of course you're going to drive again and I crashed road racing once, um, about 120 something miles an hour on the front brake locked, went right over the handlebars. Mm. That was not fun. <laughs> it was mm. very I, bad.
4: I had, that, I, had, I had that experience on the road a couple of weeks ago with this Triumph I'm trying to rebuild. The bloody front end locked up on me in the middle of a, a major, major road. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, it's exciting. It's really yeah. exciting.
5: <laughs> yeah, well, that bike I totaled. It was a factory Suzuki racer. I totaled it, rode it right off. But nobody, uh, you know, myself and nobody else ever wanted to ride with that front brake again. Of course, this is in the days of drum brakes. Yeah. But uh, did I have no desire to get back on the bike? Didn't even think about it. Said, how soon can I get myself a new race bike? Um, yeah. But I've been really lucky. I've crashed Hard and high speeds, and I've never broken a bone ever.
1: Hmm. Which having a prang, the beauty of having a prang is, is that you know why you spent so much money on a decent helmet and top quality jacket, pants, and boots.
5: (laughs) You know the funny thing, Sam. I've crashed road racing a few times, a few times on the street, etc. Just minor. I have never hit my helmet until just last winter. No, last last summer. And I was doing a two-mile-an-hour stand-up, demonstrating um, a really, really tight turn on the GS. It stalled, spit me onto the ground, I landed straight on my head and gave me a massive headache. That's the first (laughs) time I've ever hit a helmet. That time at 120 miles an hour on the racetrack, end over end over end, bouncing down the track, doing somersaults and all the rest of it. Never, not a mark on the helmet. Figure that out.
1: Uh, Grant, I had an uh, an accident in Tanzania, and... um, when I came off the bike, um, I literally flipped, um, did a complete circle. Um, mm-hmm. So, But my helmet, the only reason that I knew that I'd done that flip, because I don't have any memory of it, um, was that there was just a very light scuff on the very top of my helmet. The mm-hmm. only way that scuff would have got there was if I'd done a loop. Um, yeah. Completely bizarre. Time yeah you this. can
5: never tell you just don't know what's going to happen you people think you have control in your crash no you don't no,
1: <laughs> it all
4: happens sure. way too quick Jeff, when, you, when, you, when know, you go to hospital that doesn't it get a little embarrassing sometimes you find that or is it just me <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah i try to smell like well, hospitals as possible kind of Sam, you sounded
4: like you were
0: going to say <laughs> something <laughs> constructive there
1: I was going to say something, Jeff. Mate, I'm really sorry to hear about your crash and your injuries to both you and your bike. Um, It it really does suck when um, something big happens. And, you know, like Graham says, of course you're going to be nervous about it. Um, If you weren't, treating um, riding a motorcycle with respect and paying attention to your mental attitude as as a result of a bike, well, you'd just be stupid, wouldn't you? I mean, it does help if you've got short-term memory like Graham does, because then you can move on a little bit quicker. (laughs) (laughs) What are we talking about again? (laughs) (laughs) But listen... I always try to replace the word fear with respect. And when you get, when you start looking and thinking, right, okay, you know, maybe the time is right for me to have another go at it. Just don't fear what you're doing. Just respect that you're going to be nervous, you're going to be uncomfortable, um, you're going to be out of experience because you're out of practice. And just make that first ride a time when there's no time pressure where there's no people pressure um and just go out there and relax and you know even if it just starts off with you climbing on the back of the motorcycle and sitting there and i've seen people stand and look at their bikes and think oh no i can't do this but then the next day when they've actually gone and sat on their bike um you can see that the expression on their face has totally changed. But, you know, part of it is getting fit and well enough to ride again, isn't it? And I, I think, you know, it's, it's following the physiotherapist's instructions to the letter and doing more. And my last accident was um, June the 13th last year, and I've only been back riding a bike for a few weeks. But my physio, to my amazement, thanked me for following their instructions. Apparently, many people Hmm. don't do what the physio tell them and then complain that they're not getting better. And I think a lot of the mental getting better actually comes when your body is feeling fit enough and strong enough to do it. So I listen to what my body's telling me as well as what my brain is saying. And when my body's saying, yeah, you know, actually, you're fit enough to do this again, then my head starts to think yeah okay perhaps i can and i tell you what every time i've had to face this situation and i've got back on the bike within minutes i'm just thinking oh yes fantastic god i've been missing this and as soon as that happens that's it you're you're, you're rolling so i really hope jeff that make that happens to you too get yourself really fit take it steady be patient don't fear it respect it and the smiles will come
5: he same well said. Oh, well said. Well said, indeed. The other thing I would add to that is when you make your first ride, don't make it into downtown wherever. Just make it a nice ride out in the country on a lovely summer day. Yeah, that'll little. make a big difference. And you might even consider uh, throwing in um, some rider training afterwards after you've had that first ride. If you feel good, but you're still a little uncomfortable, some rider training is always a good thing. That'll really bring up your confidence.
0: Yep. Uh, I was going to mention, I I was also going to mention lessons. Uh, I think that's probably, uh, you know, that could be a good thing. I think if you're apprehensive at all, because then you have someone that can sort of walk you through things. And um, because, you know, we all think differently, I guess, when it comes to this kind of thing. But I was going to mention also Liz Jensen, Um, Liz Jensen we had on the show here and and Grant, you have her, you've had her before at um, Mm -hmm. at, uh, some of the hub meets before. She had a bad accident and um, she did a blog and she's got, I think she got quite a bit of information. Do you know her website, Grant?
5: Uh, I think it's
0: dot com. Yeah, I think that's it. But I'm going to put that link in the show notes. So yes. um, Jeff or anyone else who's interested, go to the show notes and go to Liz's website because I think you'll find there's quite a bit of information there. She really got into trying to recover and getting back on. And she was a very experienced rider when it happened. And um, I think it'd be interesting to, to read her perspective on
5: it. Yeah, it is lizjansen.com. Okay, perfect.
1: And she's absolutely superwoman. It's, um, yeah. That's a really good recommendation. Uh, yeah, a nice yeah. one.
5: Yeah, she did a lot of thinking about it and how she felt about it and what, whether she wanted to ride again or not. And there was There's a lot of introspection in there, so really good stuff.
0: Yeah, and I remember her saying one of the things that she had mentioned was that um she realized that when when she got back on, she didn't have to go and do those things that she didn't want to. She didn't have to ride those those gravel roads or the rough roads that she didn't want to ride. And, and that's probably a good realization, you know, to, to say, you know, okay, I just don't want to ride like that anymore.
5: Yeah, absolutely. I think you have to make a point of what do I feel comfortable with? What am I enjoying? What works for me? And get out and have fun. Don't force yourself to do the hard stuff if you don't want to. Why should you? Anyone else?
2: Nope.
0: So Hugh William wrote in and said he's an avid listener. He lives in Toronto, Canada, and he's interested in going traveling with his girlfriend to UP. And he's done, you know, some some summer riding in Canada, I guess is what he's saying. But he's looking to do some more adventurous trips. And she hasn't traveled much. And she hasn't been exposed to a developing country or third world country. So what uh, he want, wanted to know was... How does he prove to her, how does he show her that the Americas are safe or safe to travel and that she has basically nothing to worry about? How does he convince her to go riding when she's worried about it?
3: Well, Hugh, depending, I know you're talking about going to South and Central America. I don't know whether you're thinking of riding from Canada all the way down there. If you're doing that, um, your girlfriend's going to be pretty used to being on the bike for a little while before you get into Central America. Um, If you're shipping your bike to South America and riding home, I'd be a bit tempted to go to Argentina and Chile. So she's starting her trip at countries that aren't quite so daunting, countries that aren't um, real third-world countries. And uh, there's certainly so many places in South and Central America that you can make a a cut and dash if you're getting somewhere that you think is a bit dangerous or you think is um, somewhere she's not going to enjoy. You can do it in two days if you want to, some of those Central American countries and really enjoy the places where she feels comfortable. I think she'll love it. I, I love South and Central America. And as you all know, I can be a bit of a sook
0: he does say here that, that his girlfriend is nervous about doing a trip anywhere but europe so it's not like she doesn't want to go for a ride um she's concerned about you know going to south america and and he's also saying about that he's a little concerned about her and concerned about having to worry about her and he's wondering you know how people who ride two up um handle that worry and that concern do
3: you worry about me brian yeah no
4: when, well Shirley when we first started when you were going to ride a bike but you're not confident on a bike so it was a lot better to put you on the bike behind me and you know we look after each other's safety and you know, do things like um, uh, when you go and get money from an ATM uh, let her get the money you keep watch you know let give her that sense of um, um, safety um, by your own your simple presence and we did, we did that a lot. We shared those tasks and uh, never had a problem. And um, I think that she'll love South and Central America. I mean, how many of us here have uh, espoused the, the, the beauty of Mexico and Panama and all of those South American countries? And a lot of women, and, and tell her this, there's a lot of girls out there that are actually uh, riding themselves or are travelling by themselves in this part of the world. And um, it's not a problem. Um, the uh, the people are very courteous. We've found, uh, overall, uh, never had a problem. So I understand your concern, and I think that if you can relate the experiences of, uh, of others, you allay you a lot of her fears.
2: I think um, if you are riding from North America down towards Mexico, when you stop at a restaurant or a gas station and people ask you where you're going, don't tell them Mexico, because they will be full of horror stories which they have never actually experienced themselves. we <laughs> learned this. Yeah. The amount of bloody horror stories is all take a gun. Take two guns, you know. You ain't going to get past the border. And when you get there, all you're going to find is wonderful people, generosity, hospitality, fabulous food, and just a general ease of life. But anybody who starts telling you horror stories, ask them if they've actually been only speak to people who have and they will only enthuse about it. Yeah. The I other thing would agree with
3: that. Do, <laughs> the other thing not to do is do not let her read the government. <laughs> we have a Department of Foreign Affairs oh. and Trade that put on um, warnings for safe traveller for Australians telling them where they should and shouldn't go. And at one stage they had Paris down as a risky place because of pickpockets. <laughs> Yeah. So clearly, uh, don't let her read those sites either because they will have her not wanting to leave the end of a street.
1: Hugh, I think it's absolutely brilliant that you guys are considering a bigger trip and the chances are you're going to love riding in Central and South America together. Um, And I think the first thing that you've got right is the fact that you two are talking to each other. And one of the most important things, I reckon, about travelling together, be it on different bikes or um, two-up, is just open, honest communication. And you guys obviously have a strong relationship because you're being so open about everything, including her fears. And I think that's something that's fantastic. I mentioned just a few minutes ago about replacing the word fear with respect because fear is such a negative, yet respect is positive. And her nerves for setting out into the unknown... Well, that's healthy. It's respect. Um, I mean, for me, the next most important thing about what you guys are doing is that you obviously care about her and want her to have a good time. You're not being blasé about it and, you know, she'll be right. It's, it's a case that you're actually thinking about wanting to make it work for her. And that's just such a good foundation to be setting off with. And she obviously knows that. Well, she's certainly going to know it after this programme if she ends up listening to it. And... I think the, the most important thing for you guys to do next, and this helps allay fears, is to find out exactly what each other want from the trip. And once you start the research on that basis and she starts seeing, well, actually, do you know, there is that... That museum or that beach or that historical building, whatever else it is, and then she starts collecting together the things that she really wants to see, and there's no other way that she can do and visit those places without doing something like the trip that you're planning. Then all of a sudden the bonus the the advantages start to take away from the disadvantages. And that's where you sort of start getting Balance in the scales because Graham is so right. There are so many scare stories about, and so many of them come from people who have heard from somebody else who's heard from somebody else, but actually haven't been themselves. A top tip from me is to do something like go to Horizons Unlimited events, the Overland event, Overland Expo, those sorts of things, and talk with people who've actually travelled. Um, because those are the people that you need to talk to to get the the real information, and you'll also find other people who are at the same stage of planning that you guys are, and it's it's a bit like becoming part of a family, and you're making the decisions um, by getting involved and and speaking specifically to people who are knowledgeable, and by by mixing with other people who are at the same stage as you are, then. she's going to very quickly realize that actually her fears aren't unusual at all. And the more things become usual, then the easier they are to deal with. Another thing, and this is something that Birgit and I worked out um, when we first started traveling together, and that was to sort of work out what um, each other's roles are going to be. Because when you've got your own territory and your own responsibilities, um, and you know what you've got to do to do, you know, to make the trip a success, to contribute, then all of a sudden that starts to take away from the fear too. I and mean, some people, for example, um, well, Hugh, your job might be. Um, the, the piloting and the maintenance, the steering and so on. And her job might be as co-pilot to, to route plan and to mm-hmm. sort out accommodation and sites to see, whatever. Because w- everybody that travels together as a couple have different individual talents and so on. She may be a better mechanic than you are. I know Birgit's better at balancing carburettors than I am, which reminds me my neat doing. Um,
3: <laughs> and, you know, it's very good advice, Sam, to have your individual tasks When we first started travelling together, Brian would do the manly thing and go and check out the hotel rooms before we um, said we were going to stay or the hostel rooms. Um, That quickly changed when we worked (laughs) out that my idea of a half-decent room and his idea of a half-decent room were dramatically uh, different.
5: Yep, Susan so, will also agree with you 100% on that.
3: We'll, yeah, some boys will, will stay down just and
4: sleep. can sleep anyway, issue.
3: No, um, Hugh, let your girlfriend choose the room so she yep. feels comfortable in her environment when you're off the bike and, um, you know, always make sure that you've got somewhere where the bike's going to be safe so you're not worrying about that. Um, look, I really believe once you get her down there, she will love it it's just the it's a great part of the world a really the people are friendly the sites are amazing i mean if you start talking about going to cusco and going to the galapagos and uh crossing the andes and and going on some of those switchback roads and getting uh, it's just awesome she'll have a ball (laughs)
1: Yep. <laughs> the, the reality is there is risk of course there's risk, life is a risk crossing the road is a risk um, but the point is, is, is as soon as the ball, as uh, your wheels are actually rolling and you've done your research and you know a little bit about what, where you're going and so on, all the things that I've just been saying then the, the risk factor lessens quite dramatically and then you've just got to be bloody unlucky and how many times are you going to be unlucky not very often, most people aren't unlucky
0: how many bones does that yeah. sound?
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: but so I'm no, a disaster magnet. But but I always get good stories
1: out of them. But that's yep. true,
0: but I think I'll, I think it's you know all great stuff that you guys are saying, and I think the not listening to fear mongers. Not not reading the government sites, which you know we all know that you know don't give you the best information all the time. Um, definitely, the research thing I think is great, in, in going to the hub meet and Overland Expo and those sorts of things to get exposed to that sort of stuff. But my thought process is never ever push somebody to go, you know, or try and coerce them or try and convince them by not showing them some things and showing them other things. I would recommend, and just my thought process is that go and do rides that she does want to do, so you don't turn her off and let the things to sort of naturally evolve because all it's going to take is one thing to go wrong and that'll be the end of it i mean it could be the end of everything it could be the end of the relationship at that point but that would be the end of her idea of motorcycle travel if one thing goes wrong and she's not on board 100 percent. i'll bet once they start to do the research like you were saying sam you know you start to look into it and start to research and get excited about the possibilities I think that could probably sway someone to say, yeah, okay, that that sounds like something I want to do. But the idea of trying to get them to go convince them it's going to be a great thing, I, I think it's a bit of a
5: dangerous thing to do. I think it's more about education and understanding because the average North American, Canada, USA, is inundated with tons and tons and tons of everywhere else but here is dangerous. I, I know of a, um, I won't mention the country, it's a North American country where a person from the State Department said it's dangerous for us, meaning his countrymen, to go anywhere in the world but here. Now, we all know that's complete rubbish, not, completely not true. There's places that are dangerous downtown in your own city. If you go downtown in your own city, turn around the wrong corner down a dark street at 1 o'clock in the morning, it's dangerous right? That's just the way it is. The third world countries, South American countries, Central American countries. I mean, we were there through Honduras during the Contra Wars in Nicaragua. It never felt dangerous. It was always people were friendly. There was no problems, no hassles. Um, When there was, uh, I remember once we were told, don't go in that direction because it's, it's not really very safe. Don't go there. People told us, that there was a bit of a problem down that way. And remember, this is during the Contra Wars. This is not a good time to be there. And everybody was great. They were very friendly, very helpful. And we spent a lot of time in Latin America. We've got almost two years in Central America and South America. Never felt actually threatened Once. In any way, it always felt good. Like Sam was saying, the people are wonderful. They're very friendly, very helpful. It doesn't really feel that third world. And if you want to avoid that developing country feeling, I uh, think Shirley said Chile, Argentina, absolutely. Beautiful countries. Chile is a first world country. I mean, realistically, it's, it's yeah. first world. Without a doubt. Um, it's a great <laughs> place to start to allay your fears of traveling in a strange country.
3: And just going back to what Jim was saying um, about not trying to coerce her into going somewhere she doesn't feel comfortable, Um, Hugh writes that his girlfriend is not nervous about a trip to Europe. Well, that's a damn fine fun thing to do on a motorcycle too. So maybe you could go to Europe this summer and then go when she's really into the um, way of travelling to places where you don't speak the language and you can't read the signs. Uh, then she'll feel more comfortable about um, tackling South and Central America.
1: Sure. Sound advice. Yeah, sound. Another thing yep. to consider
2: is um, what's the alternative? If you're not on the bike, would you perhaps go as backpackers or something in public transport? I just came back from Tanzania and went on the worst, scariest bus ride of my life. <laughs> <laughs> this absolute idiot, moronic driver who (laughs) should have been dead by the laws of... of, He should have been dead. And if he's not, he should be by now for the sake of other road users and pedestrians and his passengers because he was a bloody idiot and he had all of our lives in his hands. He was going on the wrong side of the road. People were literally jumping into ditches to avoid him. So at least if you're on a motorbike, you've got control of your vehicle. You've got control of what's going on. Whereas if you're at the mercy of some moronic single brain-celled inbred bus driver, then your life is in their hands and there's nothing you can do about it i know Follow,
5: i've followed buses in, th- in the third world and those and on average they're just like your guy insane and oh. when you can't pass them and you're on a motorcycle you know things are bad and they're driving crazily and a, and a fully loaded bus with people hanging off the back and you're on your motorcycle and you can't pass them wait a minute there's something wrong with this picture
2: oh, yeah he i wouldn't get on those buses for anything well 12- 12 and a half hour journeys texting he stopped twice for a wee. he should have stopped at least five times for a sit-down job because we were that scared <laughs> I, I, i'm curious So,
0: do you want to tell the story
2: oh i had to get a bus from Wanza, where i was with claire austin we'll talk about this later in plugs down to um arusha which is where you start your tours for the serengeti it was a 12 and a half hour bus trip and through a connection i got a good seat that was right at the front next to him (laughs) he was to my right no seat belts of course and there were three of them there was the driver I reckon they were all from the same inbred family. There was the boy who I think's job it was to sort of get people to come on the bus. And then there was this very overweight woman who collected the money and had no awareness of personal space at all. And when she did sit on the seat next to me, she squashed into me. She'd climb over me to get through the side window to get various foods from the hawkers at the side of the road. And it's the weirdest thing. All the buses, because I thought, when I got on the bus, there's buses in front of us, there's buses behind us in this black, dark, night, dirt bus station. And then um, I thought, well, how's he going to get out? They all leave at 6 o'clock in the morning, all of them, all the buses for every destination. And he pulls out of this bus station like he's in a race. And they're all just speeding down this same road. It's not even light yet. And there's speed bumps proper big speed bumps they don't slow down at all we all leave our seats constantly for 12 hours speed bumps <laughs> and he's on the wrong side of the road overtaking anything regardless of what's coming he's right behind a bus in front of us that is also overtaking something it's only till that bus pulls over that we see if there's anything oncoming and I mean he, on, and he's driving on the wrong side of the road motorbikes are going into ditches I swear I'm not exaggerating to avoid him pedestrians are jumping into ditches to avoid him when the traffic's snob- up, he's on the dirt at the side of the road where the pedestrians walk to go down there. He was absolute moronic. Just how do you do this every single day? 12 and a half hours without a break, no other driver, just him. I thought, why aren't you dead? You should be dead. I should kill you for the sake of, c- of civilization, <laughs> humanity. I should kill you right now. What a wanker! How dare he drive like that with my life in his hands? I was infused. So, yeah, so you sound a
1: bit outraged,
2: Much
1: better off
2: on a bus. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> you just described bus drivers in India, though, too. Exactly yes. the same technique. Oh, yeah. They all come from the same squalid gene pool.
2: Oh, yep. that was the thing. In India, they'll stop, won't you? get your little blessings. They might chalk a little um or something on the front of the bus and you might worship your Shiva. Here, you get a cat or a Protestant priest or whatever who does a little blessing for you. You don't want a blessing, mate. You want a bloody driving lesson. <laughs>
1: <laughs> when I travelled through Turkey, um, somebody said to me, watch out for the bus drivers because um, most of them have bought their um, driving licences on the black market. Many of them, well, you could be on the first drive that this guy's ever done in a bus. And when you watch the driving techniques, you just think, oh my God, it's true. It is true.
0: Yeah. Well, Hugh, I'm sorry. I thought Graham was going to give you the advice of take public transit
5: and <laughs> enjoy <laughs> yourself, not on a no. motorcycle. But um, no, no. <laughs> No, I would like to add, I can add to that. I was going to say the, he's in Toronto. The Ontario travelers meeting is coming up pretty soon, May 24 to 27. So get down to the meeting and Susan and I'll sit down with both of you personally. How's that? Hmm, that's,
0: that's a good idea. And the great thing about that though, when Sam's Jess, I was thinking that's perfect because it, it gets you into an atmosphere. Where you see other people who have already traveled, who've already done trips. They can tell you the great things about it. You can ask a bunch of questions. I mean, it's, it's perfect.
5: Yeah. And just to give her an idea, too, about um, Central America and Latin America generally, Susan and I are seriously looking at moving to Panama or Colombia to live there. So we don't think they're bad countries. I mean, they're not as advanced perhaps as here, but the medical in Panama and Colombia, for instance, is every bit as good as Canada. Um, The infrastructure is fine. The water's fine to drink. The food off the street vendors is fine to eat. It's not a a really way behind backward third world country. They're pretty advanced now. It's quite impressive to see the changes. We were in Panama just last January, uh, a year ago, and we were previously there in 1987. And the change in that period of time was absolutely stunning. 34 years, but wow, they've come a long, long way. So I wouldn't be personally at all concerned about it. And I can tell you that we hear all the time from people who are traveling in South America that have never been there and were nervous about it, in Central America as well. And I don't recall anybody ever saying that they were afraid for their lives in South and Central America. They've always said it was wonderful. The people were great. They had a great time. And all the friends at home that said, as soon as you cross the border to Mexico, you'll die, are wrong. It's a bunch of nonsense. So... For what it's worth, there you go.
1: Well, here's here's another for what it's worth. I still get nervous heading into the United States.
5: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: no, I'm serious. <laughs> Look, the, 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 the culture is different to the culture that I know, the road conditions are different, the driving styles are different, Um, in many places the foods are different, I mean you look at the foods in in the south of the USA for example, I'd never had grits and things like that, I had no idea what they looked like, what they were going to taste like Um, just understanding the different accents, um, the, the cultural do's and don'ts, all of those sorts of things when I travel into the United States I'm experiencing the same sorts of things that I'm experiencing in many other countries and day that I, the day that I stop yeah. feeling nervous about moving oh. into a country that's not my own is the day that I've become blase and I should probably stop travelling then because I'm just going through the motions. I actually like the sensation of uncertainty, of intrigue, of interest, of, of, of just a slight air of, of risk about everything. That to, to me, those are part of the most important parts of, of, of travel. And I have to say, I'm thoroughly enjoying traveling in the United States, in part because those things are there.
5: Yep. It's all about the difference. It's not the same, 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 boring, old, same, same as it's always been. Something new, something to get your blood going, something to get your interest up, get a little adrenaline going and keep you interested in life and what you're doing and where you're going and things you're going to see and the people you're going to meet. That's what it's all about. A little bit of different is good.
1: Curiosity is wonderful, isn't it?
5: Oh, yeah. That's what it's all about. If you're
4: not curious anymore, is, is the time to throw the dirt over top of you. Yeah, I think I think that's right. But it, it, also, you don't want to over-plan uh, these things too much. Don't be too rigid in your thinking. And I think mm. uh, people who like a regimented lifestyle, when they start to travel, they soon find out that, hey, it ain't too bad just taking things as they come. And uh, I think maybe there's a in that. And I, I know sure was a little bit like that when we first started. You had to have a bed set up the next night and blah, 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 blah. But you don't have to do that and life can be – Um, So much better when you just go with the flow a little. And uh, traveling in South America and Central America will not be a problem in that regard. And you hit the nail on the head, Grant, when you said about Colombia, you know. We had nothing but great experiences in Colombia, in the high country and everywhere else. So, yeah, just go and do it. It's
1: my favorite country in South America, Colombia. It's a
4: beautiful country. I I was there when it was
5: considerably more dangerous than it is now. I was there in 97 and it was considered to be dangerous. You shouldn't be out on the roads between 10 and four. You could be on the road, but not after four o'clock. And it was fine. People were great. Uh, we had, we had one minor incident where a farmer got upset because he thought I was an American who were at the time, um, Asian orange, et cetera, on their crops, um, his cocaine crops, of course. And he got upset, but everybody else there at the, same, at the same time said, "Hey, don't hey Canadian, not a problem, you know, it's okay,"
4: and it was fine. Oh, yeah, we, okay. we, we we actually rode into a uh, a roadblock in um, uh, Africa where um, all the buses were pulled up and all the cars and trucks were pulled up. We said, "Oh, we'll just trick up the side." We got up the front, and there was actually a demonstration, and, a, and the road was actually blocked, and the people, and particularly the women had big smiles on their faces towards us, and they moved the roadblock aside and let us go through because yep. we had nothing whatsoever to do with the problem. And um, they're, the, they're the experiences that you'll get.
5: Yeah, you may well, I ran into a couple of those. Generally, it's fuel price protests. As soon as the government wants to raise the price, all the farmers and, and the um, lower ends, so we say, of, of the society, they, the prices are going to be a real problem for them, so they get out and they protest. And they'll literally put rocks on the road for a couple of miles on the, on, right on the highway. But as we came along, never an issue. Oh, okay, you're not a local. Fine, just going through. It always yeah, waves through. Exactly. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. Exactly. And they were very friendly about it too. And it was always I good think, to ask them what's going on. You know, what's 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 this all about? And you have a little conversation, and it's good, and they're friendly, and hope you're enjoying our country. And you know, people are people. They're great.
1: I think that traveling by motorcycle is one of the safest ways um, to travel. I've backpacked. I've hitchhiked.
0: Hang on, Sam. Hang on, Somebody, somebody's killing an animal or something.
4: <laughs> um, Should you turn your mic off? Shirley's feeding magpies at our back door, and the magpies have come here, uh, and they want their food. So they're squawking at the back door. So I'm going to turn my microphone off while she feeds them, okay? <laughs> Sounds like a plan. <laughs> okay,
0: Sam, take it away while the budgies get fed.
1: I was just thinking what the hell is that noise going on in the background (laughs) Um, yeah I just think that travelling by motorcycle is um, the safest way that you can go travelling, I've backpacked I've bicycled, I've hiked and hitchhiked and bussed and trained and But motorcycle, fantastic, Um, because you've got so much more control over your day, your decision-making, you're getting out of the way of other people, but to a large extent because of the ice it breaks between you and strangers. Um, In second world world uh, and developing world countries, um, just the fact that you're on a motorcycle gives you something to talk about and other people something to come and talk to you about. And I just found constantly that it smooths over um, any cracks in the road because you've got that thing in common to talk about. And all over the world, people love motorcycles. Funnily enough, the UK is the place where people love motorcycles the least. And you're more likely to get hassled because you're riding a motorcycle here um, than you are in any other country that I've been to.
5: I would slightly disagree. I would say Canada and US is worse than the UK. That's my perception coming from the really? other side. Yeah. I
1: never get that. Never get that. Really? Yeah. I mean Canada I can't say anything about but in the States, um, I stop on a bike, particularly when I'm identified as a foreigner um I, I normally have a union Jack on my crash helmet or you know if I'm on a borrowed bike then I'll do some sort of way as identifying myself as a visitor and the combination of those two things motorcycle and visitor um, instantly ice broken all over the place and I love it
5: okay I see the difference there you see you're coming with an English accent and I go to the states with an American as far as they're concerned accent and I'm just a local and That's not necessarily a positive thing. It's not often a negative thing. I'm not saying, don't get me wrong, and think that I'm saying, oh, every experience is terrible. I get more of a negative reaction in the U.S. and Canada as a motorcyclist than I do in the U.K. Not that either is terrible, but Mm. my perception is somewhat the other way. And I think if you had an American flag or a Canadian flag on your helmet, you might see the same thing until you open your mouth.
1: Look out for the photographs.
5: Yeah, but Sam dresses like Indiana Jones, too. So, I
0: mean, you know, he's got he's got the whole <laughs> look going on.
1: <laughs> I do not. Listen, my hat is one of the most practical pieces of travel Sam, equipment I've got. I think I've you're got.
0: feeling sensitive about your hat. I didn't say anything about your hat. I just said you dress like Indiana Jones. That's all.
1: <laughs> the hat is the only part of me that looks even remotely like Indiana Jones. That's why I left. You've got
0: that it. rugged look. The look that says, you know, I've done a, a lot of miles on this motorcycle. I mean, you just look like that.
1: Sam, are you trying to say that I look wrinkly and worn out? This is getting bad now.
5: <laughs> Wrinkles are character. Keep reminding yourself, Sam.
0: Well, Hugh, I hope you get something out of that. Um, from what we said, I think there's a lot of great advice there. And by the way, he also goes on to say he loves the show and likes the different minds and opinions and the great stories and topics. And bloody brilliant show, he says, as he tells people. So thank you very much for that, Hugh.
5: Good. And I'll be looking forward to meeting both of them in Ontario. Exactly. And then you'll have to tell us
0: about that afterwards and, and see. Yeah. Uh, that'll be nice to hear, actually. That'll be, a, that'll be a good thing to do. Excellent idea. So the, the last thing we're going to wrap up with is our butts um, and, and just sort of uh, our talk. Our what? Our butts. Our Your butts. Our butts. Our arse. <laughs> or, you know, whatever you call it. You're going to wrap up with our butts. So Just let me finish here. So we're going to, we're going to talk about um, what you're sitting on with a bike. People take folding chairs with them. Some people take pads with them. Some people take nothing. You know, it can, it can mean a lot to some people. It can mean a little to others. depends on, on how sensitive your butt may be, I guess. So how about you guys? You taking camp chairs, uh, camp pads? you have any ingenious ideas or new products that you've seen?
5: Mm, I do now sometimes take a um, Helinox chair, the, the, the smallest, most compact one, and it's really nice. But when we traveled around the world, we didn't, for starters, because there was nothing remotely close to the weight of them. And I just couldn't handle the thought, what do you mean a chair? What's wrong with the ground? What's wrong with a log? You know, sit on something. There's always something to sit on. Uh, but as I've gotten older, the thought of, you know, a nice comfortable chair with a backrest and everything, that's not such a bad thing. But again, we've gone for the very lightest ones possible. Because you've always got too much stuff and a chair. It could easily be construed as too much stuff.
4: Oh, yeah, but the Helinox chairs, that's what we use. The Helinox chairs are so light and, and small. I mean, yeah. They're, they're uh, less than a third the size of a sleeping bag and less weight. Yep, uh, yep, they're amazing. And I actually, when, when we go away two-up camp, uh, camping off the bike, I actually take the Helinox table as well, which is slightly bigger but not much bigger. And uh, even with all that, it still doesn't weigh the weight of a sleeping bag.
1: I'd, I'd never travelled with a chair. Um, I, I'd like. I, I've always got this constant battle against bulk and weight, and I'm always looking for a way of keeping the weight down. And um, just a chair for me is something that just adds to all of that and I tend to take one of my panniers off use the bike as a backrest, and put my sheepskin saddle cover on top of that for warmth coolness or comfort and I always have the the challenge the battle with myself about you know spending the money on a chair and I could actually put that money into the gas tank and how far could I go with it but having said that as I'm getting older, they are looking more and more attractive. I did some research into them not so long back, and actually, I came down to the Helenox as well. I mean, 1.15 pounds or 0.89 kilograms, and 4 yeah. inches by 3 inches by 13 inches. It's not a lot, is it? I mean, they're, yeah, they're expensive, but actually... For the amount of comfort, uh, one of the things that struck me about carrying a chair, which my pannier and my bike as my backrest don't give me, is the sociability of having a chair. Just being able to pick up some, your chair and go over and join some other people at their tent or around the campfire, um, it's, yeah, your chair gives you the freedom to do that. Um, I can't remember many times where I've ridden my motorcycle over to the campfire and parked it so that I can sit leaning against it.
5: Yeah, or even picked up your saddlebag and carried it over either.
1: Yeah, I've done that that. a fair few times, but then you miss out on having something to to lean back on. Yes, that makes all the
5: difference.
1: I I did actually draw up um, a plan um, using some tubular aluminium, and I was going to put some attachments on the back of my my pannier, you know, some tubes, um, Mm -hmm. and then just have sort of arms coming out of the top of these tubes with a bit of fabric in between, and I was going to carry that as a backrest. But then what I worked out, actually... I'm not saving an awful lot of weight versus a um, Helinox. i bend been that idea. It was kind of yeah. fun thinking about it, though. Well, yeah, I, thinking
4: I, about I've it. I've just tried, tried everything. I've tried the um, a, a block of wood. I've tried the panniers. But, Sam, when you use your panniers, you're really limiting their use for other purposes. I was camping last week in with a heap of mates, and uh, I was able to put four dozen oysters and a um, a slab of ice in the bottom of one pannier and two dozen stubbies in the other pannier, and they all followed me. They didn't want to go
1: past me. They wanted to know where I was going. <laughs> um, you Australian? <laughs> yeah. What's wrong? But, I, with mean, that? It's just, I mean, it's just—I mean—perfect use of panniers, isn't it? So, Perfectly. what are you doing with all of your dirty washing while you're using your? pannier to carry well, your well stuffies well, and your oysters.
4: Well, when the ice melts, it's water. You just put your dirty clothes in the water and oh, give them a get <laughs> in. I mean, in it. What's the problem with that?
5: It's cold.
1: Cold water wash. So you only buy cold wash clothes. Perfect. Right. Colours
0: roll well no run. <laughs> Grandma, how about you? Um, I you did. I on? did meet
1: a guy who was. I'm um, travelling with a homemade hammock seat. He'd used um, ripstop material from um, a tent where the fly sheet had just got completely knackered by UV rays. But he was left with the inner, and so he cut up the inner, stitched the corners, um, and put eyelet rings in. Used the tent guy lines to hang it from, and this thing weighed less than half a kilo. And he, his, the only change to his normal camping criteria was that he always had to look for somewhere to camp with a tree. <laughs> and I thought that was actually kind of cool. I, it, it looked good. And I liked the recycling aspect of it.
5: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Graham, what do you think?
2: Um, yeah, I, I tried traveling one of those little tripod stool things once, which was all right. But to be honest, I've been riding all day. The last thing I want to do is sit down. <laughs> My bum's already had eight or 12 hours of, of pounding, so, so speak. <laughs> and, uh, I don't want to speak. Uh, and I don't want to sit down. So I'm quite happy to stand around a, a fire or something. If you do, I can sit on a pannier. Um, one thing I will say about those Helinox chairs, if you do buy one, Put them in your tent before you go to bed. I know so many people who woke up in the morning and found they've gone missing because <laughs> yeah. they're, they're hot property. <laughs> so.
5: Yeah. And just a tip for you, Graham. I've I've got a set of those um, tripod stool things. They're oh. rubbish compared to a proper chair, the Helinox chair. There is no comparison.
2: Oh, I, I know, but I mean, it was like three quid and it didn't It sat on top of the pannier under a bunch of cord. Cool, didn't matter if it got stolen. And again, I use it so seldom, it didn't really matter. But um, I'm not going to stretch to the price of one of those chairs. I mean, they're like £70 or something. They're
4: worse. Yeah, they're expensive. But, but Graeme, my son bought one from Aldi, like a, a knockoff type thing, which is exactly the same, only a different color. It might have oh, been yeah? yellow seen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I've fact, also I seen the, of the ones, and they're about half the price of the Helenox ones.
5: Where's it? Try it.
1: I don't know. Are they? I mean, do, are they st- as strong as the Helenox ones?
5: Um, won't be as. It won't be the same grade of aluminum in the pole, so I'd want to be more careful with them. But other than that, it should be okay. It's the design and the the way it's engineered that matters, and they've copied the Helenox, so it should be okay.
1: I do really like the fact that you've got four legs. Um, rather than the tripod I I also tried the tripod buns and I always felt incredibly unstable on them and not very comfortable and I guess that was one of the things that put me off um, carrying a stool or a chair um, and just stayed with the pannier but um, having sat on other people's um, Helinox or Helinox type chairs yeah that back support's really nice at the end of a, a long day's riding
5: it yep. takes the pressure off the part of your butt that's been sitting on the seat of the motorcycle too. It's completely redistributed. Yeah.
4: It's very is different, it and it is a rest. Yeah, they've upgraded the Helinox chairs, I believe, because all the, the, well, the weight's going on those four little legs. Sometimes on soft ground, they sink in. Now mm-hmm. they've got a, a pad that goes underneath it, so you, it, it distributes the weight more evenly so that the, the legs actually don't sink in. Yep. We keep upgrading them all the time, and there's a number of
5: different yeah. models. So you really got to think about what it is you really want. I've got yeah, the one that's, that's got right.
4: legs there, like two, three
5: inches long, and that's fine. It's a bit low, but hey, it's, it's well, a lot there smaller. There are some
1: that are really long-legged now, aren't they? I was yeah. looking um yesterday. Um, a bit bulky no,
5: for two for a two-up rider. Mm, quite.
0: Well, wrapping things up, I have one more thing that you guys don't know about. Uh, Mark Plank, a listener um, who's written before. He has this question. Sam Manicom has mentioned in interviews that his friends at a pub laughed at him when he told them that he wanted to ride a motorcycle around the world. And now with miles and miles of travels and numerous books and appearances, what do these same buddies say about Sam? Just curious. <laughs> <Great> <laughs>
1: so question. I have no idea of them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh.
0: You're going to have to go find them, Sam. You, don't talk, you mean you don't talk to them because of what they said?
1: <laughs> no, this is a long time ago. They've all moved on in different directions. You know, I was talking to a guy at a bike rally the other day and we were talking about school friends. I don't know any people from my school days i've moved around so much and i've lost touch with every single one of them and i thought that was kind of sad because this guy you know he was still in touch with 20 odd um of his friends and you know they'd all sort of moved in different directions and got together every couple of years for you know sort of reunion type thing but not as snobby as that um i just thought i was kind of cool do i miss it mm, no i'm quite happy to have spent my so much time traveling
0: well, that,
1: um, Jim, th- yes, Jim, can I just interrupt for a second? This show has been absolutely brilliant because we've had so many questions and topics from listeners. It's really nice to have them, um, even the ones that have put me on the spot.
0: <laughs> That's a very good point. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned it, Sam, because we should probably put it out there again. If you have a question, we've got a form on the website. Go by the website www.adventureriderradio.com. Look for the, the Rob uh, link and um, click on the form. Fill it out. Send in your questions and concerns or anything at all you want to ask. I mean, it's, it's fun to, to get the input and, um, and have those topics to talk about. So with that, I guess we're going to move into plugs. And coming up for number one on the plug scene today is Graham.
2: <laughs> right. This is not my normal plug. This is not by my books, although obviously by my books. But this, if, if you listened um, to the last roar, uh, I mentioned I was going to Tanzania. Hopefully, you listened to the Adventure Rider radio a couple of weeks ago, which interviewed Claire Elston, which was all about the organisation that she has in Tanzania. And I did a little bit on there, my observations of what it was. Now, I know when someone gets a, a, a new... Sort of be under their bonnet, and and this this new thing they won't stop talking about it. And I'm not going to stop talking about it because this organisation is an incredible thing. I won't go all over it because hopefully you've, uh, if you are interested, you've already listened to the other show or you perhaps clicked on the links. But very very basically, and this is cutting a very long story short. Uh, She runs this organisation for motorcycle ambulances. They're little 200cc bikes with a sidecar, which you can actually lay down on. In fact, I did lay down and sleep in one for a little while when I was working on this KLX one Sunday in the workshop, which couldn't get the bloody thing to start, and I decided I'd have a little doze, and it's on the sort of stretcher within the sidecar, and and they're very comfortable. And what they do, these little bikes uh, go out into rural areas, and most people live in rural areas, and... Uh, they get uh, labour women in labour and they bring them back to uh, hospitals where they can have their babies. Now, the alternative to that is to either get a motorcycle taxi, which is practically impossible, or a four-wheel taxi, which is even less, especially when the roads are just mud. So Claire and her organisation have trained these ladies in... Uh, in, in, in going out, a little bit of life saving, a little bit of self-defense and go, riding the motorcycles into rural areas to pick up these women in labor and bring them to a place where it's far more hygienic and uh, appropriate to have babies. They saved so many lives with this. Now. The Tanzanian government were going to pay for the first year of this project and then they backed out. While I was there, I saw the Tanzanian government put an awful lot of hurdles in Claire's way and saying I'm here to help you in your country doesn't work. So now they have got a shortfall within the funding. I've got a lot of stats in front of me and I'm not going to bore you with them. If you're interested, I can send you links or we can put something perhaps on the website, uh, on the show notes. However, if you are perhaps a group or an organization or a bike club which, or a committee that has um, some a level of fundraising, you could sponsor... Uh, One of these ladies who rides a motorcycle ambulances for a year, it's about two thousand pounds, two thousand seven hundred fifty dollars. You that will cover their salary, uh, the cost of running it, the uh, the fuel and uh, everything else that they do. What you will get in return, apart from spectacular karma, is a monthly video from each apprentice telling them what they've done, the lives they've saved, the things they've done. So your bike club, your organisation, will get to see exactly how you have saved lives, how you have brought new lives into the world, and what they've done. So it's a little plug from Piccolilly saying, uh, just uh, showing what they do. And I'd love to show you a photograph of these motorcycle ambulances. They're brilliant little things. And... um, it's it's a wonderful thing they do so if there's perhaps something that your organization might be interested in doing look at the link that's going to be on the show notes and uh, and look up more about it because it's a it's a brilliant thing I was so it was so much fun getting involved in Piccalilia and what they do when I was out there really enjoyed it so yeah that's my plug oh and buy my books that's it
0: <laughs> but but um is Piccally only looking or is Claire only looking for that one lump sum or or is she looking for anything that will support it
2: Well, of course. Anything, But this is because they've suddenly, the government have backed out of their promise. They were going to fund this for the first year and now they're not. There are all sorts of other things she does, which is rider training. I mean, we were talking earlier about, you know, how people have basically given their driver's licenses. They don't even have them. So there's rider training. There's basic maintenance skills that she teaches. There's all sorts of aspects that Piccolilly does. But the one that I'm talking about is to keep the motorcycle ambulances and the girls who ride them on the road.
0: You know, what's really cool about this is that, um, like you said, you know, clubs or organizations or businesses that could afford to do something, send that kind of money over. And, and it's not a huge chunk of money, but you're making a real difference for people. You're saving lives. And it's, I don't know, it's pretty cool to think that it doesn't take a lot of money to make a huge difference with this sort of thing, because it's all grassroots.
2: And, and you know, to think you're know, on the wall of your clubhouse or your organization or whatever, you get to picture one of these motorcycle ambulances what they and, and a little explanation of what they do and, and the monthly video updates I think it's a a very satisfying place to put your money you certainly very rewarding when you when you see what happens and what they do and uh, I I was really I'm really passionate about it it was a it was a wonderful thing to go out there and get involved and uh, yeah I'm all fired up about it at the moment
1: do you know, I see an awful lot of comments um, and hear comments from people who say, ah, you know, giving ch- to money to charity. I-, I-, I just feel really jaded about it. There are so many requests and you never know how much money is actually going to get to the sharp end and stuff. You know, for for, for anybody who's even remotely thinking I'm feeling jaded, stop it. Because Lily is where your money needs to go. Um, such a good setup and the money goes exactly where it needs to be and you get a feeling for that just by the sheer minimal amount of money that's needed to make all of those sorts of things happening um yeah no fantastic uh, it's graham it's i'm um, just blown away that you managed to get out there how fantastic um envious too about your photographs that you were taking while you were out there
2: <laughs> yeah it was fun
1: <laughs>
0: okay so sam you're up next what do you have for plugs
1: Oh, I've got a lot going on. Um, My next book signing and presentation tour is going to be kicking off in the United States um, soon. Um, The first one I'm going to be doing is on Saturday, April the 28th at Dunbar Eurosports in um, Brockton, Massachusetts. Um, And that's a sort of uh, of middle-of-the-day presentation um, at uh, Dunbar Eurosports. And then the next one is at Hermes BMW in Port Clinton, Pennsylvania. And that's on um, Friday, May the 4th. And that'll be a presentation evening. Um, So we'll be sort of um, getting together about 6 o'clock for a 6.30 start. The next one is at Motorcycles of Dulles in um, Virginia. And that's going to be on Thursday, May the 10th. And that's going to be um, an early evening one, so 5 p.m. to around 7.30, something like that. And then the next one, um, I'm scuttling on down to Arizona to Flagstaff to Overland Expo West. And that is from May the 18th to the 20th. And... Um, I'm, That event is classes and courses and presentations and roundtable discussions and films and off-road training and, of course, book signing um, and travellers from all over the world passing through. And uh, if anybody who's listening to this is actually on a journey and heading up um, through the United States, um, overlanders can actually get into um, Overland Expo West for free, and it would be fantastic to see you there. So, yeah, four events starting April the 28th and running through until um, May the 20th. So I hope I'm going to get the chance to link up with loads of Adventure Rider Radio raw listeners. Um, The the Timonium Motorcycle Show was just brilliant because so many um, raw listeners came in to say hello. Um, So thanks very much again to everybody who did that. And I hope I can see you guys sometime over the next month and a half.
0: Sounds like you have a fun time coming up. Are you going to be riding a motorcycle for that?
1: Actually, no. For a lot of the time on this trip, I'm not. Um, I am steering clear of borrowing motorcycles at the moment having been knocked off the last one that I was loaned and then the bike being written off. I've, yeah, I've, I've been rethinking. So, um, I may be going to buy myself a motorcycle and keep it in the States for doing the trips. And the first three events I'll be doing by car in part because um, I can carry the books and the pop-up banners and you know all of that sort of stuff rather than having to ship them in between the different venues. A couple of the presentations are really close to each other and I'm not convinced that um, the gear would make it from one place to the next in time. So um, I should be doing that. But I tell you what, when I'm hiring a car... It just feels so wrong. i hardly ever drive a car in the UK, and to be stuck inside this glass and metal box instead of being out on a motorcycle is a very alien feeling. So the sooner I buy myself a bike, the better, I think.
0: Well, here's what you need. You go to a lot of BMW dealers and do presentations. You need to get somebody, you know, if somebody's listening and has maybe a bike that, you know, that they don't have a lot invested in, then they can donate it to you give it to you to ride around, put their name on it, and um, get some exposure for it. That's what you really need.
1: I've got, got a KLR
2: 650 sitting in a goat shed in Denver. You can buy that off me.
1: <laughs> Sorry, Graham. Um, much as I enjoy KLRs and ridden and so on, actually, I want a BMW. BMW, BMW boy, me. Hopeless case. <laughs> <laughs> But no, thank you very much for that.
0: Have you seen the KLR that's sitting in the goat shed? I mean, goats love to chew and jump on everything.
2: There's no actual goats in there. That's why the KLR is in there. Ah, okay. <laughs> that makes
1: more well, sense. That's really nice that you've got a bike to use when you go back, Graham. How cool is that? Yeah,
2: uh, yeah I haven't seen it in three years. But um, yeah, I could jump on it and whip down to Mexico on it a couple of times, which is uh, kind of cool. Yeah.
0: Shirley, what have you got for plugs?
3: Um... <laughs> um, what? oh, we got um, this isn't a plug, this is a um, a cheerio. Brian's got a plug. We got an email from Matthew Payne, who is currently in Sydney, and uh, he said yeah. how much he enjoys everything no. and wanted some advice on where to ride in New South Wales. So, hopefully, um, At the moment, he's actually on a BMW that he's hired in Sydney and he's riding around New South Wales enjoying himself.
4: Matthew's from the States, Cheryl, and he's come out here on business and he came to Sydney and he wanted some advice on where to go and uh, so I I sent him a a, a nice little um, trip planner for him to to try out and he sent me a lovely reply. So thanks, Matthew. Um, uh, I hope you enjoy the high country of of Australia. Now, for plugs, I've only got one plug, and it's it's about trying to support um, motorcycle racing and motorcycle events in Australia now. There's a guy over in South Australia, for Australian raw listeners, who's built uh, a purpose-built track, or seven tracks actually, for motorcycle racing over at Tail and Bend, which is not far out of Adelaide. Now, um, the first event will be on the weekend of, I think it's the 20th of April or thereabouts, and it'll be a round of the Australian Superbike Series with um, Troy Bayliss uh, coming out of retirement and riding in the Australian Superbike Series, which um, should be spectacular with him riding a Ducati. You've got to remember, um, Troy is uh, the only only one, really, and he's an Aussie boy, of course, who rode and won the World Superbike Championship, was given a wild card ride in his last ride ever on a MotoGP Ducati and promptly went out and beat them all um, in Italy. Um, Rossi, the whole lot of them, uh, in his last ever ride on a bike that he'd never ridden before. So Troy has come out of retirement and uh, decided to ride another Ducati in the Australian Superbike Series. So I'm going to make the trek over to this new racetrack and support it over at Tailham Bend. They're also having a round of the Asian Superbike Series and there's a lot of um, Aussie guys riding in that. Cam Donald and uh, Anthony Gobert and a few guys like that are also riding in it, so it should be a great event. So um, people have gone to a lot of expense to build this new racetrack and I'd encourage people to get over there and support it. So this will be the first one ever. So um, we're making a big effort, there's about 10 of us going over from here. So um, I'll have to uh, fill the pennies up with ice and beer.
5: (laughs) (laughs) What else are they for? (laughs) (laughs)
4: Exactly.
5: Grant, what have you got for plugs? Well, we've got uh, travelers' meetings as usual. This year we've actually got 26 events that we're putting on and there's a 27th in in the works, which we may or may not have happened just because it's just too much work. (laughs) <laughs> There's an awful lot. Uh, the Hum, Arizona. For those of you who don't know about the Hum, go to horizonsunlimited.com/hum. Off-road riding, navigation challenge, a different kind of event than the rest of our events. But this is going to make you work hard, think, and strategize, and have a great time riding in the mountains of Arizona. Beautiful area. They've got a great setup. Lots of checkpoints to keep you busy. Nobody's going to be able to get all the checkpoints. Now, there's a challenge for you. And that's happening April 13 to 15, just a month away. And Susan and I are going to ride down to that event. And then shortly after that, only two weeks later, is Virginia, April 26 to 29, and then we've got the Western Australia event. They're doing an adventure weekend, mostly riding, a couple of presentations, and some adventure travel film festival films will be shown, May 17 to 20. And the last one I'll talk about right now is Ontario, May 24 to 27. That's an event that Susan and I will also be at. We're not riding across Canada to, do, to go to it. We've done that before. We're going to fly. So those of you in Ontario, we'll see you there, May 24 to 27. What's a mini meeting? Mini meeting is a not full on event. It's just a little one, more of a get together than anything else. You know, it's like a a very small entry fee. Um, It's nothing fancy, Hmm. low level, 25 people kind of thing, 25, 30 people. That's all. It's not a, a huge event with dozens of presentations. Just let's get together and talk about travel and keep everybody excited and
0: get it going. So another opportunity, if somebody wants to have a, a meet in their area and they don't want to do it on the, the grand scale, they can put together the mini meet then.
5: Yeah, absolutely. Um, when We have people requesting all kinds of events. Lots of times we get an email and say, we'd really like to have an event in our area. And we say, yep, go for it. Oh, <laughs> it's all about all of the events that we have running now are because somebody said, I'd like to do one in my area. Volunteer. We've got all the information you could possibly ever want to know how to do it. We've got all the documentation you need, all the paperwork. It's all figured out. There's even a manual on how to do it. And we'll get you going, support you, back you up, and help you out and get a traveler's meeting in your area. It just takes two or three people to get together and make it happen. Brian and Shirley, they've got a couple of friends. Was it Toby and Pam Hyde and And David uh, David Hyde?
3: Andove, and
5: that's a little crew, a bunch of people that know each other, get together, and they put on a fantastic event in the Snowy Mountains. So that's what it's all about. Just get together and keep those travel fires burning for when you can't get out. It's a good way to meet people in your area that can come around and everybody get to know everybody. Works out really well.
0: Well, that uh, wraps it up in pretty good time. we've uh, we've been, I think, a little over an hour and a half. Oh, wait, I, I was going to ask Graham, I-, I know you just you did your little plug of buy your books, but I want to ask how is your um audiobooks going?
2: Ah, oh, Glad you asked. There was a problem with the formatting. Um, because there was over ninety nine chapters, apparently, It can't handle that. It can only handle 99. When it goes into triple figures, the formatting changes, despite the fact I'm currently listening to T.E. Lawrence's Seven Pillars of Wisdom, which is 135 chapters and seems to work perfectly fine. So there has been a lot of trouble with the formatting. Anybody who's downloaded it from Audible or iTunes, some chapters repeat themselves. Sometimes it jumps. It's been a complete bloody mess. Anyway, as of today, certainly by the time you're listening to this show... What you can do is re-download it from Audible, iTunes, wherever you've got it, and the fi- files I've been promised will all be in order and all work out. So I'm sorry about this. Um, it's certainly beyond my uh, what I can do. Uh, but, yeah, so if you've got one with – where I know day one repeats itself. There's some other days that do it um, and a couple of chapters that were actually missing. Re-download it, and everything will be in order and work out. So, yeah, a bit of apology, but it shouldn't be from me. It should be from the people who are responsible.
1: God, what a nightmare, Graham. Yeah, but that's not God a big on, deal. Oh you just have to, I mean, as long as
0: somebody knows, you just have to delete it and re-download it because it doesn't cost you anything to do that.
1: Uh, you know,
2: I've had to listen to it all the way through again to find mistakes. Do you know how sick I am of my own voice? I really have <laughs> empathy for all you listeners. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, how about the CDs, though? That They played fine?
2: Uh, yeah, most of them did. I think. Again, if you had a problem with them, let me know. <laughs> it's um It was all because because I did the chapters as days, and there was a hundred and four day trip. That's what messed it all up. You go over ninety nine, it screws with the system. So um, what we did, we re- We just made the countries chapters, and uh, but then Kazakhstan was too long, so it had to be Kazakhstan part one, Kazakhstan part two. I don't know this stuff. This is not what I do. This is what I put my put it into the hands of professionals, and uh, apparently it's beyond their ability.
0: Graham, it, it's a really simple solution. Just make your trips ninety-nine days long. That's I mean, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean Problem solved. <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: yeah, that's the title for your next book, Graham. Ninety-nine. Yeah, yeah. ride
2: less, write less, talk less. <laughs> ninety-nine. No, I mean going yeah. in, going yeah. into
1: this sort of thing is just a complete voyage of discovery, isn't it? Um, you just don't know. It's it's a complete new adventure, isn't it? All of the the history and the culture and the technology and everything else that's involved. It's just a massive learning curve, isn't it? Oh God,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this whole thing. I mean,
5: yeah.
1: <laughs> was that? You don't, so, you yeah, don't know was what that... the
5: unknowns are. The unknown unknowns. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah, there's the known knowns and then the unknown knowns.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and then once you know it, you realize that if you had known it before you knew it, that you probably wouldn't have done it to begin with.
2: Yeah, people are saying, when are you going to do the next book? say, next book?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that wraps it up. So um, after show party, anybody?
3: We've got the pool, we've got the beer, the magpies have had their dinner, so um, there's room for everyone to come over now.
1: I've just got this image of your swimming pool with um, a row of bikes parked up around the edge of it, all with their panniers full of beer and (laughs) iron and oysters. (laughs) Excellent.
3: We have actually kept all the penniers off bikes that have parted company with this world in one way or another, and they make very good portable um, coolers on a hot day.
1: <laughs> oh, brilliant. <laughs> Love it. Well, Can we have a photo of that sometime? Sure. I made, yeah. Well, I sent Shirley a photo with all the
4: oysters in it the, the other day when I was away keeping uh, She didn't think it was very funny. No, no, not, <laughs> no, not impressed at all. Yeah.
0: wraps things up for this month's ARR Raw. Before we go, um, I'd like to ask you to drop by our website and consider clicking on the support button. That's www.adventureriderradio.com. Remember, anything $10 or more is going to get you a sticker. Anything $50 or more is going to get you a mention on this show. So we really appreciate that. If you can't do it, that's fine. But if you can, we'd really appreciate it because we certainly need your support. Well, I want to give a special thanks to my co-host, Graham Field, lives in Bulgaria and has some great adventure motorcycle travel books for you at www.grahamfield.co.uk The most innovative and desirable travel book package ever conceived, the pannier box set, which is Graham's, the sexiest thing you can put on a bookshelf. This is all Graham's words, containing three books and with over 150 Amazon five-star reviews. That's pretty darn good. Anyway, drop by his website and check that out. Also, Sam Manicom, who lives in the UK, he has four paperback books that would take you through different countries, which turned out to be his eight-year trip around the world. Tons of information there, some really great books. You can check. At his website at www.sam-manicom.com uh, he also does a, a bunch of um, other articles and, and different things and of course his books are all on, on uh, audible as well you can get them there and shirley and brian Shirley Hardy Ricks, Brian Ricks from Australia. They've got some great moto travel books and and they do articles on motorcycle travel, as you heard Brian say there. They're available anywhere you get eBooks, or drop by their website, www.ozsoverland.com.au. And of course, Grant Johnson from Horizons Unlimited, which is the hub, literally, for the adventure motorcycling community. Horizons Unlimited has tons of up-to-date travel information as well as a huge forum for connecting travelers around the world. They also put on the hub meets around the world see a worldwide list of hub meets at www.horizonsunlimited.com something you definitely want to do this summer is attend one of their meets special thanks of course to our producer elizabeth martin my name is jim martin thank you very much for listening this has been raw see you next month